Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Amen. He is wonderful. He is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And we are here today to celebrate him. Well, a long, long time ago, back in the mists of time, in a previous century, Indeed, in a previous millennium, way back in 1990, (laughs) before we had email and before we had cell phones, my family and I journeyed to Norway as missionaries. And when we arrived in Norway, we had a lot of new stuff to learn. We needed to learn a new language, and we needed to learn to adjust to a new climate. We needed to learn to adjust to a new culture, and we needed to learn some new holidays. And two of the new holidays that we learned were May 8 and May 17. And the reason May 8 is a holiday is because on May 8, 1945, Norway was liberated from the Germans at the end of World War II. And May 17 is a holiday because on May 17, 1814, uh, Norway adopted their constitution. And so it's Constitution Day. And so it happened that in 1945, when Norway was liberated on May 8, then just nine days later, they were celebrating their first Constitution Day after they had attained their liberation from German oppression. And things had been really hard under German control. I mean, even a small thing. If you wore a red stocking cap out in public, then you could be arrested and hauled off to jail and tortured uh, for that terrible crime of wearing a red stocking cap because that was a sign of resistance uh, against the German occupation. And so there were many, many people uh, throughout Norway who suffered terribly under the German occupation. And so when May 17 came and they were free, they had what was probably the most joyful May 17 in the history of Norway. And I'd like to share, if I could, we'll see if we can do this, a short newsreel clip from May 17, 1945. and 
sausages confiscated from German supplies provide a treat for Norwegian children. Food they haven't tasted during occupation. And the occasion calls for it, too. For the country is celebrating its Independence Day, free from German rule after five long years. 25,000 school children marched with flags and serenade Prince Olaf as he waved from the balcony. Children who spent formative years under the Nazi heel give vent to leather-lunged joy on this day of days for them. Norway, a country that refused to bow to German domination, holds her place proudly among free peoples. For many months, we've been studying the book of Revelation and in a sense, it's been kind of a hard slog at times because a lot of what we've been looking at isn't very present. We see that uh, there's war in heaven and Satan is cast down to earth and he knows his time is short and so he is pouring out his wrath on the earth and he raises up the Antichrist and the Antichrist sets up a system where he is killing people who follow Jesus Christ for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's a really a very, very difficult time, a very, very hard time. And uh, in our study today, we come to a turning point because the evil religious and economic system that was used to kill followers of Jesus Christ during the tribulation will be over by this point in history. And the marriage supper of the Lamb will be celebrated with his people. And so the passage we're looking at today, rather than a passage about hardship, is a passage about celebration. It's a passage about liberation from the forces of evil. And that passage is Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. I'd like to invite you to turn to that passage in your Bibles. And I'd like to invite you to stand together as I read this passage of Scripture in your hearing. Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It says, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they say, hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. 
And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you that no matter how bad things may get, we know that we are going to be able to rejoice with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That you will have victory over evil. That you will reward your people. And that what is in store for us is better than anything that we have ever experienced in our lives. Lord, as we look at this passage this morning, pray that you would fill my mouth with your words, that you would fill my heart with understanding, that I would be able to speak clearly. And I pray for each person who's here. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you might comfort and encourage them in the trials of life because of the truth of what awaits us. And Lord, if there's any here this morning who do not yet know you, I pray that they might be drawn to faith in your son, Jesus Christ, so that they might join us at the marriage supper of the Lamb as well. I ask in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the passage that we're looking at this morning has two main stages. And the first stage is in verses 1 to 5, and it celebrates God's justice. And verse 1 starts out after these things. And uh, any time the book of Revelation has a time stamp, I'm grateful. Because uh, as we're going through the Revelation, John has these visions and all kinds of things are happening and he's looking forward to the future and he's looking back to the past and he's flashing backward and forward through time. And it's easy to get confused about when we are. And here we have a timestamp because he says, after these things. And so we know what happens here in 19 takes place after what he has related in chapters 17 and 18, which Pastor Jeremy shared about two weeks ago. And so in chapter 17 and 18, it describes the destruction of an evil, religious, and economic system that will be opposed to God at the end of the age. And ironically, it is going to be the Antichrist who destroys that evil, false, destructive religious system. The very system that brought him to power. And so God is going to use the wickedness of a wicked ruler 
to punish the wickedness of a wicked system. And this is a pattern that has occurred often in history because evil is destructive. And so in the long run, evil has a tendency to destroy itself. And so you may remember in the book of Judges, you have Gideon, and God sends him against thousands and thousands of Midianites with just 300 people. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to blow a horn and I want you to hold up a torch and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so the 300 guys that have this camp of thousands and thousands and thousands of enemy soldiers, they hold up a torch, then they blow a trumpet and they say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And suddenly all the Midianites start killing each other. And they don't have to do anything. And then later on, there's a huge army that's coming against Jerusalem. And uh, they're threatening the city. And God says to Jehoshaphat, I want you to take the people and I want you to march out of the city. But you're not going to have to do anything. I just want you to go out so that you can watch your enemies being destroyed. And so the people of Jerusalem march out of Jerusalem and they stand at the edge of this area and they watch the enemy soldiers that have come against them killing each other. And God delivered them through the wickedness of the wicked. And so this defeat of the most wicked, most evil, uh, religious and economic system in all of history, the system that is most directly opposed to God, the system that is most dedicated to destroying God's people, the defeat of that wicked system brings joy in heaven. And so if we return to verse 1 of chapter 19, after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. And they are rejoicing because the destruction of this wicked system helps to demonstrate that God really is holy and righteous and good. So it says in verse 2, for true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And so when this evil system was destroying God's people, God wasn't distracted he wasn't saying, wow, you know, events on planet XY22 are very interesting right now. I don't know what's going on on planet Earth. And uh, God wasn't asleep, you know. Oh, man, I'm kind of tired watching over things at Earth. I need to take a nap. And, and, oh, man, didn't know what was going on there. Nor, worst of all, God wasn't complicit in what they were doing. He wasn't saying, ha, 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 it's funny to see my people being destroyed. But God was preparing to intervene and judge the wicked. And when God then intervened and acted, he acted in a, or he is going to act, in a decisive and permanent manner. And it says, again they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. 
And so for all of eternity, we are going to be able, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to be able to look and see the shining glory of the new Jerusalem. And we're going to say, that is a reminder of God's grace. I don't deserve to be there, but that city is my home because of what God has done for me. And then there'll be a reminder of God's justice because there'll be a plume of smoke that will be rising forever and ever from the lake of fire. And this is a reminder that God does not tolerate evil. That all wickedness, all injustice is going to be punished either on the cross with Jesus Christ or in the lake of fire for all of eternity. And so God has acted decisively on behalf of his people to deliver them from evil. And this praise for God's justice is shared by God's people of all ages. So in verse 4, it says, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Alleluia. And I believe these 24 elders consist of the, 20, the 12 patriarchs of Israel and the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, representatives of all of God's people throughout all of his redemptive history. And they are saying, Amen, Alleluia. Amen, yes, may it be so. Alleluia. May God be praised. Praise the Lord. He is worthy. And so, for all of eternity, we're going to be rejoicing in the good thing that God has done for us. And this joy is shared by God himself. Look in verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and and great. And so the voice comes from the throne where God the Son is seated together with God the Father. And it seems that God the Son is calling on people to give God the Father the praise that is due his name because of what he's done. And then following the celebration of God's justice, we move on to the celebration of God's grace in verses 6 through 10. And I'll read those again. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. 
for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so we can notice in verse 6 that the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. A number of weeks ago, I preached from Revelation 11, 12, and 13. And those were kind of difficult chapters. And so in that context, at the end of the service, I played the hallelujah chorus to remind us that God is on the throne and he does reign. But today we've come from, to the actual passage from which the hallelujah chorus is taken. It is this particular verse. Verse 6 says, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. The hallelujah chorus is a song of praise for God's grace. Verse 7 reminds us that this praise is because of God's grace. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And so, if you want to keep your finger here in Revelation chapter 19 and turn back to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 to 32. And Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 to 32 says, For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not, ha not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so Christ gave himself to redeem the church. And now the celebration of that redemption has come. And so back in Revelation 19, then we come to verse 8. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And so it talks about fine linen being the righteousness of the saints and what is this righteousness of the saints? There's some cross-references that can help us to understand that I'm going to read for you. 
One is from Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. And it says, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And so the righteousness of saints is not something that originates with us. It's not that if we grit our teeth and work really hard, that we can produce the righteousness that is pleasing to God. But if it doesn't originate with us, where does the righteousness of saints come from? Still in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, in verse 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garment of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And finally, in Philippians chapter 3, I'd like to read verses 8 and 9. And by way of context, Paul's talking about all of his righteous deeds. He starts in verse 1 of chapter 3, and he says, uh, um, you know, I'm circumcised, and I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and a Pharisee, and uh, zealous for God. And then he says in verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And so here in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 8, as we're talking about the righteousness of saints, we're not talking about something that we produce by trying real hard. We're talking about something that we receive from Jesus as a gift. We receive the imparted righteousness of Christ through his death and resurrection from the dead. And we receive his imparted righteousness through his Holy Spirit, who he sends to live inside of us and who gives us a new heart that we never had before. And so we have no reason to boast as we come into the marriage supper of the Lamb and say, look at this mighty garment or this wonderful garment that I provided for myself. But we come into the marriage supper of the Lamb, look at this wonderful garment that God provided for me through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we rejoice that Jesus has sanctified and cleansed us so that we might be a suitable bride for him. And this union with Jesus Christ is the greatest blessing 
that human beings created in his image can enjoy. In verse 9 it says, Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Are you invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Have you recognized God as the creator and Lord of the universe, master over everything, including you? Have you recognized yourself as a sinner, a rebel against God, worthy of eternal death? Have you recognized Jesus as God's perfect son come to earth to pay the penalty for sins by dying on the cross? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Have you believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? Have you called on the name of the Lord to be saved? If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit has placed you in the body of Jesus Christ, which is the church, the universal church composed of all followers of Jesus Christ throughout the church age. And if that is true of you, then you are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if you are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, you are blessed above all men. With great joy, you are going to experience being all you were created to be in the presence of your creator for all of eternity. In life, so often we strive for meaning and, and for purpose and for significance. And yet at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we realize our true meaning, our true purpose, our true significance, what we were created for. This is what we were made for. This is God's best plan for us. This is better than anything else that we might be tempted to substitute and strive after. This is the best thing that we could ever hope for. This is the thing that is better than we could imagine, the thing that eye has not seen and ear has heard and cannot be imagined that God has prepared for those who love him. And so there's been a lot of good things, a lot of encouraging things. Get to end the sermon with a cautionary note here. Verse 10 says... And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so we see that the apostle John becomes so overwhelmed, becomes so dazzled by the glories that are being revealed to him that he becomes momentarily confused and he falls down 
at the feet of an angel to worship. Worship belongs to God alone. And so the angel refuses John's worship and points him back to God. This is an important reminder to us because as humans, it's easy for us to become quickly infatuated with messengers. Let's imagine for a moment that this morning, Billy Graham and Jesus come down from heaven and walk into church. And we, we recognize them when they come in. And of course, we feel a little shy. I mean, we're a little intimidated. Um, you know, Billy Graham and Jesus are here. What do you say to people like that? And so, finally, one little boy works up his courage, and he walks over to Jesus. He says, Jesus, can you do me a favor? Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. And the little boy says, can you get me Billy Graham's autograph? It's like, you are talking to Jesus and you're asking for Billy Graham's autograph. How quickly we become confused. We are thankful for the messengers that God sends, but we need to worship God and not the messengers that he sends. And unfortunately, throughout history, there's been many, many times when people have become infatuated with the messengers. And so we've seen that uh, the messengers, they start getting confused too. They start becoming infatuated with themselves. And suddenly the messengers are no longer bringing God's messenger, bringing, bringing God's message. They're bringing reproach on God by doing unrighteous things, and they're supported in the unrighteous things they're doing by people that are infatuated with them. And so may God help us to always love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That yes, we love the messengers, he says. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We want to encourage them. But we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and remain faithful to him. And so with that little footnote in mind, let's turn back to the main idea of the passage. The day is coming soon when the power of the wicked is going to be broken and we will gather with Jesus Christ and we will celebrate with him. And may that day come quickly. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that no matter what happens down here,
we have a sure and certain hope with you in heaven. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that you provided through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he's seated there with you, interceding for us even now. And we thank you that he's coming again soon to receive us unto himself. That where he is, we may be also. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.